Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. I wanted to uh, continue in the series called Found. Uh, Last week we talked about found hope, this hope that comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want to talk about found family, this concept of family and why that's so important, not only for you and for me and our church and in this city, but we want to be able to look at scripture and understand that God is trying to help us to see it from a whole different perspective and why is this concept of a family so important for us and also in our spiritual lives. So that's why I wanted to just start off and ask you, when you think about the word family, what comes to your mind? What is that first visceral thought or that emotion that you feel when you hear the word family? I think for some of us, we get good vibes. We we really kind of like, think through it and we're like, wow, family. I'm so thankful for family. Some of you have great families. You grew up in a great environment where your parents loved you unconditionally. They sacrificed for you. Some of you, as you're thinking about the word family, you're thinking about vacations and different memories that were created as you spent time together. And there's a good handful of, if not a big part of us here, uh, some of you who are either watching online or right here live, I think for some of us, when we think about the word family, it conjures up more of bitterness, negative feelings. Uh, We think about some of the relational conflicts that some of us are still right now uh, in, and the unresolved anger, the unresolved reconciliation that has not gone through right now. When you think about either your parents, you think about your children, Some of us are thinking about our sibling relationships. It could be even extended family, our uncles and aunties and all these other people that are part of our lives. And so what I wanted to do is regardless of where you are, whether it's good memories or bad memories, one challenge for us this morning is that if you were to go beyond your biological family, your blood family, and start thinking about people who are part of God's family, what are your thoughts on that? Let let me put it in a different way. In many ways, you don't have a choice in the family that you've been brought up in. You were born into it. Uh, You didn't have a say in it. Even though you wanted to, you don't want your brother or your sister there, but they're there. But the thing is that when you think about a church family, in many ways, you do have a say. You just don't have to hang out with that person because they drive you crazy. You, you know, there's always one of them in your life group. Don't ever forget that. Just That's God's way of teaching you how to love. I realize that he, he, God is amazing. There's that one girl who's in your life group, and you know what I'm talking about. There's always at least one. And in many ways, like you don't have to hang out with them. You don't even have to talk to them. You don't have to interact with them. You could blue tick them whenever you want. Like, you have a choice. So the challenge that I want to ask us this morning as you're thinking about family, not only your biological family, but I want you to think about people that are outside of your biological family, and you have a choice to be a part of their lives or allow them to be a part of your life. And I'm wondering if some of us will go above and beyond what is required. 
when you think about the word family. I want to show you this video. It's about a, a high school football coach, uh, American football, who found out something about one of his players, uh, a student, and he decided to do something. And I, I want you to see just some of the things that they did and some of the changes that came about. And we'll talk about it after we watch this, but I want you to watch it with that kind of lens to be able to say, I'm gonna choose to allow this person to be a part of my family. So let's watch this together. Amen. What an incredible story. And I like that phrase that he used, that it is literally a family tree changer. I'm wondering if you were in that situation, would you have brought them in? Brought them in? And it was supposed to be for a little bit, but it was two years. I think in many ways, we can kind of handle our biological family. But to think that people who are not even part of our family, to bring them in and treat them like family, that's a whole different level of family. And I think this is the reason why Christianity is one of the most special things. Because if you think about this concept that we have one father, and because through Jesus Christ we're now redeemed, that we are now related to each other, not by blood, but it's through Jesus Christ. And actually it is by blood, but it's Jesus' blood. And we are related together in that way. I like what Rick Warren said in his book, The Purpose Driven Life. He says this, your spiritual family is even more important than your physical family because it will last forever. Our families on earth are wonderful gifts from God, but they are temporary and fragile, often broken by divorce, distance, growing old, and inevitably death. And I think many of us, we forget this, especially living in Asia, that there is something that's even more significant than our physical, biological family. That is the spiritual family. And I want to just challenge us as we think about this idea of family, and spiritual family, what the scripture tells us and what Jesus taught us as we look into the story. So I'm going to go ahead and just give us the one thing for us to kind of think about. And I want us to understand that in everything that God does, there is no coincidence. So if you think about us being brought together. It's not done by coincidence, chance. There's no randomness about it. God is very purposeful in what he does. So that's why the one thing is that we are not brought together randomly, but we form a spiritual family. That God is forming the spiritual family right here in our church. And then we're part of a bigger family which is the capital C, the church here in Hong Kong and church universal all over the world. So let me go ahead and just jump into this as we talk about just understanding that we're not brought together randomly by chance, but rather God is bringing us together to form this spiritual family. So the first thing is this, that Jesus challenges our basic family paradigm. Will you just turn to somebody next to you and tell them what their first point is? Go ahead and just share with that person next to you. I'm going to go ahead and have us read uh, Mark chapter 3 as I've had you turn to it. I'm going to read the first three verses uh, from verse 31 
through 33. Listen to what the Word of God says, Mark chapter 3, verse 31 through 33. I'm going to move this a little bit. This is uneven. It's okay. Let me go ahead and uh, read this. It says this. And his mother and his brothers came, standing outside. They sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And then he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? Uh, let's just pause here as I talk about how Jesus challenges our basic family paradigm. I think it's really easy to read passages like this in the Bible and draw the wrong conclusion in terms of what God is trying to speak to us about. And this is why we have to look at the whole counsel of the Bible, not just one portion. Then you're going to be able to see what it is that God is trying to say and what are some things that he's not saying as you look at the whole counsel of Scripture. So there are a couple things to kind of remember as we talk about families. I want to start off with this so that we could talk about how Jesus is challenging just our family paradigm that many of us have, our basic family paradigm. The first thing is this, that God values the family. It started back in Genesis, as many of you who have read the Bible, that God created Adam and Eve, and they had children, Cain and Abel. And from that moment on, you see a whole generation after generation after generation of people that are here on this, or that were here on this earth, and up to right now in this generation, our generation. Uh, if you remember the story about Abraham, that God says that I'm going to bless you, and then all the families will be blessed through you. That's what we see in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. It says all the families on earth will be blessed through you. And then you look throughout the whole Old Testament and you see the strong emphasis on family and the importance of children and the next generation. Uh, listen to how God is speaking about the importance of children and the family unit. It says this in Psalm 127, verse 3 through 5a. I'm going to read it from the contemporary English version. It says this, and in the yellow section, go ahead and read it out loud with me. It says this, children are what? A blessing and a gift from the Lord. Having a lot of children to take care of you in your old age is like a warrior with a lot of arrows. The more you have, the better off you will be because you they will be uh, they will protect you when your enemy attack with arguments. So this idea that children really are a gift from God and they are a blessing rather than a curse. Uh, it's not there to make your life miserable. They are a blessing, as the scripture tells us. Even in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, Apostle Peter, when you read some of their letters and everything that they talk about in relation to family, you'll see this idea of honoring. You'll see this idea of submitting to one another in mutual love for one another. You'll see this idea of a husband and a wife. Talks about the children and the parents and the relationship that entails in those biological relationship. You will also see all throughout the New Testament this new relationship about Paul being like a spiritual father to many of those people who have come to know Jesus Christ. Timothy being like a spiritual son to Paul. You'll see all these images and um, metaphors about this family as you look into the New Testament. So it's undeniable if you look at the, I just gave you a, a really 
quick overview, but there's so many passages that talk about God valuing family. The second thing that I want you to note is this. God not only values the family, but he validates the family, which means he supports it. He's, it's almost like a stamp of approval on this. Um, even when you look at the scriptures, there's structural changes in a family. For instance, uh, the husband dies. So that, become, that person, the wife becomes a widow. There's so much mention about widows in scripture. It talks about orphans when a child loses both their father and mother. So there's references to that. And what he does is that he expresses his heart and he validates still his heart for families through his promises. Look at some of these verses in Psalm 68, verse 5. I'm going to read it from the NIV. It says, he is a father to the fatherless. A defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. So this idea that God is now the protector. He is now the father to those who do not have a father. So some of you have lost your fathers for various reasons. Some of you might have an absent father. So one of the beautiful things as we see the validation of the importance of family is that God is now saying that he is going to be our father. In the same way, he sometimes brings older men who will play the mentoring role or the father figure role in your life. Same way with mothers, that sometimes God sends spiritual mothers into your life. For those of you who have mothers where your relationship, it's not that good with them. So God is bringing different people our way, and that's through his promises and his word. Here's another passage, Psalm 27 verse 10, it says, even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. So they might not have passed away, but they've abandoned you. They don't care about you. They leave you to yourself to fend for yourself. It says God holds us close. Here's another passage, Isaiah chapter 49, verse 15 through 16a. And many of you know this passage well. I'm going to read it from the ESV. It says, can a woman forget her nursing child? that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb, even these may forget. So saying human beings, we forget. Sometimes we're not a good father. We're not a good mother. But it says, yet what? Come on, let's say this together. I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. That God has engraved us, our names, who we are in the palm of his hands. That that's how much he cares. So this idea of God challenging the basic paradigm of families, I first want to establish that when we read that passage in Mark chapter 3, he is not saying he doesn't care about families. I just proved to you through different portions of Scripture, he does care about families. The family structure, the family unit is very important. No matter how much our culture tells us to redefine it in a different way, we see God's heart being consistent to communicate his heart in that way. So with this framework and with this paradigm, we see the story of Jesus being surrounded by a crowd as they are seated and circled around him. So I want you to try to picture that for a moment. It's probably in, in a house somewhere, and there's a big crowd circling around him. They're all seated. He's probably teaching, proclaiming about the kingdom of God. And it is in this moment, in verse 32, as we have read, someone mentions to Jesus, your mother 
and your brothers are outside seeking you. Now, why were they seeking him? You got to pay attention. This is important. Why was Mary and Jesus' brothers, why were they seeking after Jesus? Well, if you look earlier in verse 20 and 21, which we have not read, you will notice that something happened after Jesus selected the 12 disciples. Let me go ahead and read it for you. In the ESV, it says this. Then he went home, then being he being Jesus, after picking the 12 disciples. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. So it was so busy. It was so crazy. They couldn't even have a meal. And then in verse 21, and when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. So I want you to picture this for a moment. So prior to him sitting down with a crowd encircled around him, if you go all the way to verse 20 and 21, you will notice that after he picks the disciples, that he was crammed by all these followers or people, the crowd, that he, he didn't even have the ability to eat. And that's when the family says, we got to take him out because he's out of his mind. I like these other translations. It says this in the New American Standard Bible. It says, they went out to take custody of him for they were saying he has lost his senses. Look at what it says in the contemporary English version. It says, when Jesus' family heard what he was doing, they thought he was crazy and went to get him under control. I'm just wondering, how many of your families have said that you're crazy? You've lost your senses and that you are out of your mind. Uh, if your family has not said that to you, then I don't know. Um, you might want to think about it for a moment. I mean, let's try to look at this objectively. Let's kind of pull back a little bit. And I know there's different levels of commitment in our church. Uh, some of you are very heavily involved. Others of you just come out on Sundays or just to life group. Some of you have yet to take membership. You have yet to sign up for ministry teams. So there's a whole range of people. So I want you to think about it for a moment. Think about how many meetings you have in a week. Think about all the different people that you meet up on a regular basis throughout the week. Think about all the hours that you put in, especially during some of the ministry team, things that you have to take care of with different activities that are coming up. Think about your life group and all the things that you have to do to help out, to help set up the activity, to do all this stuff. If your parents have not said to you, you're out of your mind, then you're not doing anything. And why am I sharing this? Because I think for many of us, what we need to understand is that God is constantly checking our hearts. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that by you getting totally involved that you have a good heart. I've seen a lot of people get really heavily involved, but they have a bad heart. But what Jesus is always looking for is the heart. And that's why when you think about the story He's looking to us and says, what kind of heart do you have? You know, I was, as some of you know, I've been doing university ministry for over 25 years. And I have, I have come across a lot of different parents. 
And I just remember some of those conversations I had in my office, they were, they were painful. And if some of them are Korean, they decide to whip out the Korean, so you know, you gotta show some respect and things. Uh, if they're Chinese, then you know, they speak English, some of them broken English, so you just have to listen. But I have met so many different parents, all the way from tiger moms to boil, uh, what is that? The, the, I forgot the name of that snake that, the boil constriction, yeah. Those types of moms, I don't know, I, I'm just making that up. That chokes the life out of a lot of these people to all the way to laissez-faire parents who just doesn't care, they don't care about. And I remember every single time I would meet with some of these parents who were upset at me um, because they first uh, uh, pretty much told me that we're a cult. So after all, all the greetings and all the things that they wanna say, it's interesting because as I'm listening to them and just sometimes asking them questions, I just realize what the bottom line is that these parents have certain dreams and desires and wishes for their children. And sadly, many of those dreams and wishes are rooted in their insecurity. So they can tell their friends that you're going to medical school or that you're doing this and you're very successful. And as I'm just listening to some of the stuff that they're bringing up, it's amazing when I hear things like, uh, they don't really need to get so involved, pastor. And, you know, they could just take it a little bit easy with their Christianity. And then after they study and after they get a job, after they get married and have some kids, then they can get involved. Have you ever heard that? It's going to be like, oh, that was my mom yesterday. Think about this for a moment. Let me translate what they're trying to say. I'm in control of my life and my children's life. And right now they are doing things that are out of my control, which I do not like, Pastor. Also, I could predict when that my child is going to pass away. I know that's not what they're saying, but that's really what they're saying. And so with a lot of respect and with at least love knowing that as a parent myself, there are things that I wrestle through with, that I try to tell them like, you know, I cannot control your child. If this is something that they wanna do, then, you know, I, I will try to talk to them. Maybe there's some things that they're not doing well in terms of balancing things out. But I told them, we don't know when we're gonna die. Only God knows. So by serving later on, and then you could serve, he might already be dead. And marriage, your son, he needs a lot of help. Because he likes a lot of girls, but no girls like him. He needs a lot of help. So we're like, two, two groups of people. I'll never bring my parents to Pastor Seth. And another group, I'm going to bring my parents to Pastor Seth. You're not in control of your life. Your parents are not fully in control of your life. God is. And you probably 
look at verse 33, and what does he say? How does he respond? They're, they're, your mom and your brothers are seeking for you. And then as, he sit, as he's seated, he says in verse 33, who are my mother and my brothers? Now, once again, I want to make sure we're clear on this. He is not dismissing, he's not dissing his mom. In certain cultures, you diss your mom, your mama, she's going to come and do some stuff. Jesus is not undervaluing the family. But once again, as I shared earlier, he's trying to get to the heart. What are some of the deeper things in the heart of my heart, your heart, our hearts? The thing is that we have a tendency to make our earthly family our ultimate source of significance, security, happiness, and purpose. Now, once again, there's nothing wrong with loving our families. Can I get a good amen to that? There's nothing wrong. But when we begin to put our parents or even our children before God, then that's simply idolatry. That's it. That you are turning to your parents or your children as the ultimate source of happiness, significance, security, whatever it is, then they become idolatrous. Or you become idolatrous, I become idolatrous. Let me put it this way. Let me kind of give it a, a positive spin. I would definitely say coming from the United States, family in many ways is not as strong as, as I, what I have seen here in Asia. It's amazing when I hear stories of families every single Sunday going out for dim sum after church. That's, that's great. You're building relationships, and this is something like a bond or tradition that you have. So I realized that family here in Asia is so much different from what I experienced in the States. So that's a positive thing. But at the same time, what I've also noticed is your parents have complete control over your life. Therefore, you struggle with obeying God or obeying your parents. That's a problem. Some of us are doing majors or we're in a job that we hate, but we just do it. Why? Because that's what our parents expect of us. That's what other people expect of us. So Jesus addresses this as he called the people to follow him. Luke chapter 14, verse 26 through 27, it says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children, brother and sister, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. What Jesus is saying is that literally when he says, hate your parents, hate your wife, hate your children, he's saying it in a very, in, in, a, in a hyperbole. So it's almost like your love for God, your love for Jesus should be so great that it appears, it seems like you don't love your family. But you do. But not above Christ. That's the point that he's trying to make. So the question is this, are we willing to worship and give our lives to Jesus no matter 
what the cost? Because he is our greatest treasure. So once again, he's sitting down. Your mom and your brothers are here. He goes, who are my brothers? And who is my mother? What he's trying to do is completely challenging our basic family paradigm. That there is something greater than what you see every single day. Let me just jump into the second point. As he's challenging the basic family paradigm, you know what he does next in these two, three verses that we'll read together? He's now creating a better family paradigm. That Jesus creates a better family paradigm. Let me go ahead and read these two verses, verse 34 and 35. It says this, And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Amazing. What Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to create a better family paradigm. And he does it by explaining two things. First of all, he talks about the access. It's kind of interesting that as Jesus was seated and the crowd was circling around him, Jesus says, here are my mother and brothers. Can you imagine what the people were thinking? I ain't your mama. You know, I mean, like, can you imagine what they're thinking? And the point that you have to understand is he's referencing not to a biological family, but to what? A spiritual family. And how do we have access to the spiritual family? Even though he doesn't clearly lay it out at this moment, you'll see everything that he's doing from history. You see what he did on the cross. You see what he did from the tomb when he rose again from the dead. You'll see it in the book of Acts. That it's not just a biological family that's important, but he's trying to emphasize there's a family that's even more important than your biological family. And to have access to this family is by faith and not by bloodline. The bloodline, as I mentioned earlier, is the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, as we remember that our biological family are important, they're designed by God as a gift to us, you have to understand there's a greater family that is eternal and that is spiritual. So once again, God the Father, He's our Father. That makes people around us who are believers as brothers and sisters. Let me give you some of these verses. In John chapter 1, verse 12 through 13, it says, But to all who received him who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? Children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Because the biological birth, it is by the will of a man or a person. And it is in the flesh. But if any of you in here have been, you are a believer and you're part of this spiritual family, it's the work of God. That's why you're here. 
To those of you who have yet to receive him, that is the work that God has to do in your life. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. It says this. So now you Gentiles, those who are non-Jews, are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are what? Members of God's family. It's because of Jesus Christ. I remember when I first became a, a Christ follower, I really didn't understand when people would say, hey, brother, hey, sister. Now, you have to understand, I didn't, I didn't grow up in a Christian background. So that was really weird for me. Like, you, you, you're not my sister. <laughs> you're not my brother. And as they kept on using that language, it really baffled me. Until I began to read the word and began to study and they began to teach me, disciple me. Then I realized, oh, because we have the same father, God the father. And because we have trusted in Jesus Christ, that makes you and I related spiritually. That you are my brother. I don't know if you have ever experienced this, but you're at work or maybe some of you at school and then you meet somebody I don't know whether you've been on this side or the other side, but you know when it's like, oh, I want you to meet my brother. Or I want you to meet my sister. Then that person's like, you guys are related? You guys don't even look alike. But that was the mindset that I had. Is like, how can we be related? But I realized if scripture is true, that means that every single one of us who are believers here, you are my brother and you are my sister. I don't know if a male or female is sitting next to you. Can you just turn to them and tell them in the right, you are my brother or my sister? Go ahead and tell them. Now it's getting awkward, okay? <laughs> we have access to this new family paradigm that God is forming because of Jesus Christ. I want to talk about this last phrase that Jesus mentions. So not only the access, but I want you to see the affinity that brings us together. For the Jewish people, the commandment or the command to honor your mother and your father, it was such an important command. It was, it was part of the law. Therefore, anyone to renounce or to reject a family member was unimaginable you, you cannot even imagine it but here jesus communicates that nothing should be pull nothing should pull us away from doing the will of god this is important i want you to pay attention as he's talking about creating this new family paradigm and mindset he talks about the access that we have to be a part of this family is through jesus christ through him but now there's a sense of affinity. What brings us together? What similarities, uh, simil similar things do we have towards one another? And what Jesus is simply saying is that when you are obeying God and this person is also obeying God, then we are his brother, his sister, because we're doing the will of God the Father. You know, uh, 
I mean, we haven't traveled for a year, maybe longer for some of us. And whenever I have an opportunity to meet new people, and when I mean new people, not just random, but just people that are doing ministry. Some of them are missionaries who are in some of these countries that I had the privilege of visiting. Sometimes I meet some of these pastors and other workers and people who are in the marketplace who are trying to share the gospel. One of the most powerful things that I, I cannot even describe it unless you experience it is when you meet somebody for the first time, you have no history with that person, but you spend about two hours over a meal, maybe over three days at a conference somewhere, and afterwards you feel like you're tight. You, know, you, you guys know what I'm talking about? You're like so close to them. And you realize that you have friends, roommates, people from elementary school or form, whatever you guys call that, right? One, two, whatever, those forms. You've known some of these people for like 15 years. But you're not as close as someone you just met for two hours. Are you with me? Do you know why that's the case? It's because what Jesus is talking about. Who is my brother and my sister, my mother, my father? It's those who do the will of God. That's why I want to challenge some of you in your friendships. And I've been challenging a lot of people because when I hear about your friendships and what brings you guys together, it is so shallow. That's why some of you have been friends for five, six, seven some years, and you still not have addressed some of the issues that you see. So that to me shows either you don't love them or you love yourself so much that you don't want to be hated by them. You don't want to be looking bad in front of them. But if you love them, you genuinely love them, you'll say something. This is when I realized that some of us are okay with shallow relationships, shallow friendships. But the power of two people doing the will of God, even though you have not met each other, it's only been two hours or even two days, there is something that brings you together, an affinity that you cannot fully describe that it's only by the Spirit of God. This is the reason why some life groups are taking off and the relationships are strong. And I don't even have to be part of your life group. Do you know what I know? Is that every single person in that life group, if they're on a mission, they understand the purpose, they understand why you exist in that campus or in that life stage, you understand the meaning behind it, I'm telling you right now, I don't even have to be a part of that life group. I bet you that life group has stronger relationships and they're accomplishing a lot. It's that simple. That's why I'm constantly training leaders to learn how to communicate vision, to learn how to communicate mission. Because when you get a bunch of people who don't really know each other or they do know each other, but it's shallow relationships, if that commonality of doing the will of God is not there, you will not be close. <laughs> Why is it that after Harvest Games, some of your life groups are close? Those of you who don't know what it is, it's our like mini Olympics that we have. 
So we're not going to boycott 2022. Sorry, just erase that. We love Jesus. We love every country surrounding us, okay? Listen to me carefully. Why is it that after Harvest Games, some of the life groups, like, bond closer together? You know why? There's a mission to win that trophy. Not to come in last place. We might not come in first, but don't come in last. That's a mission. So that's why afterwards, you guys are bonded and you're close. Why is it that after baptism, and you hear these testimonies from people from your life group, and then you guys go out to eat for dinner, and it just seems like it just reached a whole new level. And you're like, wow. After all these months, maybe we should have baptism in September. Why? Because once again, you're doing the will of God. Why is it that after Easter? Why is it after outreaches? Why is it after? Because you're doing the will of God. Why is it after these conferences? Why, why is it after all these things, you feel that there's a deeper connection with people that are in your life group? It's because you are doing the will of God. And I think this is a really encouraging passage for us. You know why? Because if we think about those of you who have been left alone, abandoned. Some of you have been rejected by your biological family members. Even those of you who are divorced, widowed. Those of you who are single and wondering, am I going to start my own family ever? you are always welcome in God's family. Can I get a good amen to that? This is why it almost seems like we're ruthless when it comes to building community because it's one of the most powerful and visual and a viable display and demonstration about the love of God. That's why those who bring disunity in a group, you're not doing the will of God. That's why no one's close to you. You don't feel belong. That's why you got to repent and understand God's heart. Do his will with other people who are doing his will. You'll feel this closeness to one another. That's why the Apostle Paul talks about treating people in the spiritual family as if it was your own family. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. It says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would, what? A father. So this idea of this relationship. Younger brothers or younger men as brothers. So you treat them like a brother in Christ. Older women as mothers and younger women as sisters in all purity. I know that many of you are young in our church. It'll be interesting to find out what the average age is of our church. I know my wife and I will bump it up a little bit. 25, 28, 
I think it's more like high 20s, early 30s. And I'll, I'll, I'll just admit this right now and just say we just don't have enough older men who are godly, who love Jesus, that some of you can look after and follow as an example. And look at our church. There aren't too many. I mean, the ones that we have, we praise God for them. But we don't have too many older women who are seasoned, who have gone through different things in life, who can counsel you and tell you that it's not that bad. It's going to be okay. Who can walk you through some of the stuff that you're going through. So I want to challenge us to start praying for this. And some of you, maybe in five years' time, ten years' time, you might be one of those people that these younger people who are coming in every single year, they'll look up to. And I know those are big shoes to fill, but you got to start wearing those shoes someday. So I pray that you will begin to pray with me and pray with our church and say, God, raise up more godly men and raise up more godly women so they could become spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers to people who are spiritually orphaned, those who have bad examples at home, so they have a warped concept of family. Some of the greatest hurts and wounds in your life comes from your home. That's why you are the way you are. If you don't admit it, then you're, you're living in denial. The reason why you're such a control freak is because the way you were raised. The reason why you have so much anger inside of you is because the way you were raised. The reason why you're such a people pleaser is because the way you were raised. The reason why you don't have any self-worth is because the way you were raised. The reason why you're such a perfectionist is because of the way you were raised. The reason why you put all your value and worth on accomplishing things. That's why you fear failure. It's because of the way you were raised. And until we come to grips with that, to say, God, I need better examples. That's why I'm part of the spiritual family. I want to grow. I want to learn. I want to be challenged. Apart from the Spirit of God and placing godly people in your life, I'm going to tell you right now, you're not going to grow. In fact, you're going to repeat the same cycle. How do you think your mom got there? You just have to look at grandma. How do you think your dad got there? Just look at grandpa. And you know what the scary thing is? You're going to be just like them. And I'm not here to discourage you, but I'm trying to speak truth to you. To put a sense of urgency, I don't want that. I don't want that for my future ch uh, family. I don't want that for my children. Then you got to start working on it now before you get there. So here's Jesus challenging us with this basic family paradigm. As he values and validates family, he's not discrediting it, but he's saying, are you putting earthly family above God? So he's challenging us with that. And then he says, you know what? I'm going to create a new family that's eternal, that's lasting forever. Even after you pass away, it's going to be forever. 
And the way you have access to that spiritual family is through Jesus Christ. And the thing that brings us together, the affinity, is doing the will of God. What would our church be like if every single one of us, our hearts are set on doing the will of God? We will be an incredible spiritual family for anyone to come in and experience the love of God. So once again, the one thing is that we are not brought together randomly. There's a purpose in what God is doing. That's why you're part of our church. That's why God is bringing you to, from season to season. Because what he's doing is he's forming a spiritual family. You know, one of the things I realized about Hong Kong is there's so many great churches. I'm interacting with a lot of different pastors on a given week, given month. Great churches. Some of them incredible speakers. I mean, some of their worship bands is like a whole different level. And with that, you have to ask yourself, why are you even here? We're not trying to kick you out. We love you. Thank you for coming. And some of you know, other people have left for various reasons. And the reason why sometimes it's painful is because when you're a part of a spiritual family, and then for whatever reason that person is gone, it does affect you. But the beautiful thing is that God is always bringing in new people into the spiritual family. Amen? Can I just see how many of you have just come to our church within the last year and a half or two years? Can you just quickly raise your hand? Okay, praise God. Come on, let's give them a hand. Amen. Just in the last year or two, you're part of our church. And God's going to bring more people. Some of you will graduate and move on. Some of you will move to other places and do other things. But we got to realize that we're part of the spiritual family. So let me give us some quick next steps. And then I want to close out with this one video that I think is going to bless you. The first thing is this, as we think about the spiritual family, and it's not something that's randomly made, is address your issues with your family. I'm not going to talk. I already talked about it. you got to do that. That's going to be one of your priorities. You're going to bring your beep into life group because it's rooted in your family issues. That's why if the leader ever criticizes you or give constructive, you, you get upset. Because why? Because your mom, your dad criticized you. Hello? If you don't get recognized, you get really bitter and angry because your mom and dad, they didn't recognize you for the things that you did. They just criticized you. Address your issues with your family. Find an older brother or sister in Christ. Find a mentor who could speak life into you. Don't skirt around it because some of you are like, ah, it's okay. Just wait until you find that special partner, your permanent roommate. If you don't do it for yourself, do it for them. Do it for their mental health, emotional health in the future. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, you ask any married couple. They should be jumping up and down and saying amen to this. Address your issues with your family. The second thing is this, affirm each other part of the spiritual family you got to be able to say god has brought you 
as part of our family, spiritual family. Affirm that. I'm so grateful that you're part of our spiritual family. Find different things that you can say, wow, I'm thankful that you're, you're part of our life group. I'm thankful that you're part of our ministry team. We couldn't have done this without you. When you find that affirmation, then what you're doing is you're encouraging one another because we're doing the will of God together. The third thing is this. Act honorably with your spiritual family. What you will not do with your blood sister or brother or your mom or your dad, don't do it with people here. So act honorably. That's pretty much just love people. And lastly, adopt members of our spiritual family. What I mean by that is, I always tell those of you who are married, find some single adults who are lonely and struggling and wondering if they ever get married. Share your story. I was 31. I thought I would never get married. But here I am with the baby on the way. Praise the Lord. I'm not talking about this. It could be anybody. And I always tell the single adults, find a college student and just bless them. A meal, coffee. Because you know what it was like when you were a college student trying to find a job. If you're a senior or junior in college, then you should reach out to some of these freshmen and bless them with pure motives. <laughs> oh, leader, I'm just taking what Pastor Seth said and I'm applying this into my life. Shady. <laughs> Treat them as a brother or sister in Christ. I want to close with this video. It, I don't know how many of you know Lisa Harper. Uh, uh, she, she's a pretty well-known speaker. And I didn't really know much about her until I actually saw this video. And it really moved me because I realized that she has the heart of God. And it completely redefine what family is. I want you to listen to her struggle, the things that she's gone through, words, curses that have been spoken into her life. But God has a way of redeeming things. God has a way of turning things around. And that's what I want you to see. It's a story of miracles. It's a story of God's redemption in a person's life and a whole new perspective and what a family is supposed to be like. So let's watch this together, and then we'll close out. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.